0: Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary Media with me, Russell Brand. This is part two of my conversation with Deepak Chopra. This week is all about meditation and how spirituality can have a practical impact on your life and the world. And I must say, I found that meditation fantastic and I've been doing it every day since and it's been brilliant for me. I, as you know, practiced TM as taught to me by the David Lynch Foundation. My teacher is Bobby Roth. But this provided me a wonderful runway into the uh, state where I begin to inwardly chant or just speak the mantra. Think the mantra, I suppose. Have a look at my YouTube channel for more spiritual videos and clips. Make sure to subscribe to get notified of new videos. And remember to communicate with me at Russell on Twitter or at, Rusty, at Russell Brand on uh, instagram jen don't laugh check out last week's learn to meditate on youtube a guided meditation with um, me and deepak deepak teaching me essentially And um, it's on youtube it's brilliant have a look at it and I- i'm using it to meditate with myself we well, check the comments on each video so tell me what you want to see more of sign up to the mailing list russellbrand.com and you'll get more stuff if stuff is what you want but also you'll be connected as we start movements and communities so we slowly Rumbling beneath the earth like the consciousness of trees and psilocybin held, held in the soil and the roots as we rise up. So uh, we haven't got any more comments from last week because I'm recording this before I've had chance to get comments. So here are some comments I've made up. This one is a tweet from Sticky Lips. Sticky Lips says, Russell, I loved the episode with Deepak. It he really helped me to understand the fusion between spirituality and activism and the nature of consciousness. Will there be more episodes like this? And will you be starting spiritual communities all over the country? Yes, I will be doing that. Thank you for asking. This one is from Baby Breadneck, writing a letter in crayon all the way from Minneapolis. He says, Russell, under the skin is absolutely terrific. How do you do it? How do you come up with these questions? Great question, baby breadneck. Well, I suppose the way I do it is I just sit alone and think I don't really have any help. This is a very much a one-man band. There's some people that work here, but to tell you the truth, breadneck, old son, they slow me down. They encumber me with their slovenly ways and their refusal to move into the immediate environment of where I work. This one's from Dr. Poppycock in Uxbridge. Hello there. Love the episode with you and Deepak. Will you and Deepak and perhaps Eckhart Tolle and a bunch of other spiritual thinkers be doing a forum soon? Yes, we will be doing that, Dr. Poppycock, if that was your real name. Anyway, that's enough fake comments for now. If you've got any more fake comments, you can reach me, excuse me for burping, at Rusty Rockets, or you can tweet me at Russell Brad. And uh, TikTok, I will be tickety-tocketing at you all the livelong Long day. So please now enjoy part two of me and Deepak Chopra's meditation. If you are driving a car, operating heavy machinery, don't do the meditation. Fast forward through that, the way you would do adverts, if there were adverts in this, which there aren't, because we're on Luminary. And uh, let me know what you think of this meditation. I found it brilliant. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not a no, successful that's, route. Yes,
1: that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology.
0: What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told. And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the Skin. Having now established that there is so much room for curiosity... There are so many unanswered questions. It is likely that our reality is a projection of some form. I have a few inquiries. One is, how do we use this to alter our experience of reality, to have a more peaceful and happy experience of reality? And why is it that power and domination seem to have a a repetitive paradigm throughout the history of civilization these structures of dominance whether it's colonial domination capitalist domination the continual subjugation of people the establishments of hierarchies of power uh, the dissemination of uh, uh, the dissemination of false information why do these things recur why are human beings so interested in power how can spirituality and the questions that, that are evoked by this new understanding using the language and methods of science, how can this understanding be used to how can it be utilized to increase the happiness of people as individuals, to increase social equality and social liberation?
1: There are two questions you've asked and I'll try my best to answer them both. The first is there's already research now and we have been doing this research as well, but there are many other institutions that are doing research on what are called spiritual experiences and non-dual experiences, unity consciousness experiences. And some of the things that we have found, as others have found, the shifts that take place in people who are going through a spiritual practice, whether it's contemplative self-inquiry, or it's self-realization, or it's mindful awareness of perceptual experience, mindful awareness of uh, mental space, mindful awareness of the web of relationship, mindful awareness of the universe, mindful awareness of awareness. As people go through these experiences, here are some of the things that are measurably measurably seen. Okay, first is they experience a change in their identity. They slowly no longer identify as the body-mind as who they are. They identify with a consciousness in which the body-mind is a happening, is an experience, a changing experience. That's one. A shift in identity from personal to in the direction of universal. The second thing that they experience is a shift in emotions. So there's less drama less melodrama in their life, but also emotions evolving in the direction of love, compassion, joy, equanimity, to the point they realize that love is the ultimate truth at the heart of creation. Not just a sentiment, not just an emotion, but the glue of unity consciousness that actually is the force behind the ecosystem of relationships. So that's the the second shift they have, emotionals. The third shift they have is in memory. Memory is sharp, but they're not victimized by memory. You know, all addiction is actually uh, being a victim of a memory. So once you go beyond the memory, transcend the memory, then as the phrase is, I use memories, but I do not allow memories to use me. So you're not victimized by the past which no longer exists except as a wisp of memory somewhere in consciousness, non-local consciousness. So there's a shift in how we use memory. The fourth thing that happens is in a shift in perception, which means perception is clearer, it is also in the present moment. There is no resistance, there is no anticipation. There is no regret. It's just this experience in the vivid now. This, this lucid dream in a vivid now. That's the fourth thing that happens, shift. And then there's a spontaneous unfoldment of insight, of intuition, of the power of imagination, the harnessing of intention and attention, a vision of higher consciousness, loss of the fear of death, these all things follow. So these are now being actually studied and replicated. And then you can also see the biological effects. So we've done study published in Nature and other journals and replicated by others. Our first study was with a Nobel laureate. One week of a retreat experience like the one we're having right now. Genes that cause self-regulation went up 17 fold, some genes. Genes that cause inflammation, disease went down by a significant amount of factors, inflammatory markers went down, the brain changed. So just the experience of contemplative self-inquiry and transcendence actually changed the biology. So the question, how does biology produce consciousness, becomes irrelevant. Biology is a product of consciousness and its modes of experience and knowing. So these are some of the things that actually are now being documented biologically. What's happening to the brain? Is the mind the activity of the brain or is the brain the activity of the mind? Or are both mind and brain activities of a transcendental consciousness? These are questions that people are addressing based on these biological experiments, shifts in perception. Knowledge shifts in knowledge shifts in knowing what people call gnosis gnosis or noetic knowing knowing without without going through a logical uh, process what spiritual traditions call revelation revealed truth comes to you in stillness and so that's the first part of your question is there any measurable experience that can be replicated yes every modality of meditation, contemplative self-inquiry, mindfulness, reflection, imagination, emotion, thought is measurable. We can measure what's happening in the genes. We can measure what's happening in the brain. And we're realizing that only 5% of disease-related gene mutations are fully penetrant, which means you have a gene that is so defective that the disease is going to be guaranteed, but that's true only of 5%. 95% are related to are we sleeping well, do we manage stress, do you have love and compassion, are we eating healthy, are we moving, are we breathing properly, are we practicing mind-body coordination, all these have very specific effects on your biology. Now coming to the power structures and the dominion it's a very interesting story. you know. Up until 50,000 years, we are told by deep historians, there were eight different kinds of humans. So we call ourselves Homo sapiens, which actually literally means the wise ones. We were humble enough to give ourselves <laughs> that name. But there were other species like Homo erectus, Homo habilis, Neanderthals, Floroensis, Denisovians, names that we gave to other humans who looked like us, but they were different, just like a cat and a leopard and a tiger and a cheetah are different species, but they're the same family. And they all had a rudimentary language, mostly for mating, uh, food, sex, danger. That's survival. Then one species, us, and by the way, there was no domination. All these uh, humans moved as in packs. The leader was usually a male because hunter-gatherers go out, hunt for food. The leader could never have more than 100 people in his pack, like just like other animals move in packs, wolves move in packs. Then one species, us, we created a language for telling stories, and we are told that the first stories were gossip. And then gossip became mythology, and mythology became religious doctrine and theology and philosophy and ultimately science, which is another story. It's a successful story, but it's a human story, right? No other species does science. And the people who told the most outrageous stories and the most promising stories began to dominate. You know, as this uh, Harari, the historian, says, you, can, um, you can't convince a, bana- a monkey to give up its banana in the hope that he'll get a million bananas in monkey heaven. But you can tell a human being and make him a terrorist with the promise of something outrageous, absolutely. And so the storytelling became the source of power, became... Kingdoms, colonial empires, became Wall Street, became money, became institutions, became power structures, it's storytelling. And the more powerful the story is, and and in many ways, the more promising, the more outrageous the story is, the more power it gets. And then the ego, of course, feeds on that. And what we see as the world right now, social injustice, economic injustice, war, war, Terrorism, eco destruction, extinction of species, climate change it's all the projection of the separate self
0: if it like if the if our true nature is our spiritual nature and if we live according to spiritual principles we'll feel on an individual level greater happiness more contentment, freedom from disease uh, like you know in a way that as you said can be measured and tracked then why are these stories of domination so successful? Why on an individual level do I still experience attraction to destructive behaviors, selfish behaviors, egotistical behaviors? And why on a cultural level are these structures of dominance far more successful? Why are we not seeing the emergence of utopian systems? As
1: soon as you're born, Russell, as soon as you're born, you're indoctrinated into an interpreted world. As soon as you're born, you're indoctrinated. Before that, you know, as the great Indian poet said, every child that is born is proof that God has not given up on human beings because a child is full of curiosity, wonder, and adventure, and wanting to know. And a child is spontaneously friendly and loving. You know, All you have to do is look at a child, and the first thing it does is smiles. Okay, so before we are programmed into the collective conditioned mind that has been evolving through its puberty, we still haven't reached adolescence in our evolution as spiritual beings, we are already bamboozled into the superstition of matter as soon as we are born. And so we construct a world based on Materialism, if something is not important, what do you say, does not matter. Matter has become the metaphor for reality. So this rampant, unbridled materialism becomes the source of power mongering, influence peddling, cronyism, corruption, bureaucracy, and an insane world. I mean, right now the world is totally insane. You know what do you call a world where there's no social justice, no economic justice, power structures, dominion, extinction of species, mechanized death, instruments of mechanized death, and now the power to extinguish all life on this planet 20 times over we have right now at our disposal. You need one crazy person to use a technology to cause a nuclear plant to leak or spread an epidemic through biological warfare. We are risking our extinction because we have bought an insane world and call it normal. If we don't agree that we are seeing collective insanity, then we are declaring our own insanity. And the only reason to pursue spirituality is there is hope if there's a critical mass of people who understand what fundamental reality is that we are spiritual beings having a human experience, if that reaches a critical mass, thanks to conversations like this. I mean, there are benefits, by the way, to social media and to the internet, because this conversation can ultimately reach critical mass. And if it does, then there's hope for a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful
0: world. By what measure is is the survival of our species or this planet important given the expansiveness of the worldview that you have described? It's only
1: uh, important from our ego-body-mind construct. The universe being infinite might decide that the human experiment was interesting but failed. We could be a failed experiment (laughs) in... In cosmogenesis and evolution, cosmic evolution. I mean, experiments work sometimes and then they're afterwards, you know, dismantled. Newtonian physics still works, but nobody believes in it. Quantum mechanics works, but we don't know what it means. Um, cosmology, the theories of grand relativity, special relativity, activity work but we don't know where they came from what what we call the laws of nature are actually the regularities of experience in human consciousness
0: yes yes and this experience is necessarily temporal i suppose what all of this presumes is that there is a truth a an essence something that is a uh, pure trying to realize itself or indeed that could be realized on this plane. And that truth cannot be accessed
1: through a system of thought. You have to go beyond thought to experience that. That's why these days meditation and yoga are giving us a glimpse of that truth as pure consciousness prior to conditioning. So pure consciousness is infinite possibilities. It's also unpredictable. It's creative. It's self-evolving. It's self-regulating. It's just happening. Actually, one of the things we found in people who are having non-dual experiences, they also lose a sense of personal agency. Then reality unfolds for them synchronistically as intuition and creativity and expansive imagination and the ability to participate in the construction of your personal reality because personal reality is a construct. Because
0: I suppose that thought and civilization. Are byproducts of survival, that their origin, their genesis, are prime primordial drives to survive to like you said the origins of language when uh, Homo sapiens occupied the planet you know that we're mating survival and perhaps the uh, the lineage of thought as we understand it the lineage of civilization as we understand it is taking place within this bandwidth that you continually describe that obeys certain laws uh, to be it's only by transcending thought that we may access right. different principles
1: yeah and so the principles that we access. And this is common experience for a lot of people who've spent their lifetime in self-awareness is to realize that that field is infinite, infinite possibilities, also unpredictable. You can't predict fundamental reality, how it's going to process experience because it's creative. Unpredictability and creativity go together. A fixed system is not creative. So no artificial intelligence system, even though it simulates creativity, is based on mathematical algorithms, logic. But creativity is not logical. Creativity is actually a disruption in logic. And imagination is not logical. Okay, For everything you've imagined, there are infinite more images that you can imagine. For every thought you've had, you have access to infinite more thoughts. For every question you've asked, infinite questions exist to be asked and to be answered. So evolution of consciousness is a never ending horizon. Unlike other species that reached a dead end, you know, the panda, for example, can only survive in its particular niche. The giant anteater, survives in its particular niche, as do the marsupials in Australia, etc. But we broke off from that as humans. We even, you know, we think current biology suggests that we did not descend from the apes or the chimpanzees or the gorillas. This is a completely different branch. They had a common ancestor, but then mutations, the chimpanzees reached a dead end of self-awareness. Well, we continued. So we are not a species now that is based on just survival. We are a species that is based on creativity, which has its source in human consciousness and self-awareness. Without knowing self, we cannot know what we call the other, because the other is a projection of the self. As is, you know, right now if I ask you, Where is experience happening? Where are we having this experience? You know, because I'm having the experience right now of this, of this, of this, of all this, and even of how I'm thinking of all this. All happening simultaneously. Where is it happening? Is the brain producing this experience? My brain, your brain, whose brain is producing even the idea that we have a brain? So when you start to look at this, it becomes inconceivable. Ultimate reality is inconceivable. Why? Because it's formless. You can't conceive or imagine something that doesn't have a form. As soon as it has a form, then it becomes conceivable. But ultimate reality is inconceivable, infinite, and unknowable intellectually, because even the intellect is a product of that we can only surrender to it. When we surrender to it, then it unfolds, you know. And that's what meditation is all about. It's surrender to what is.
0: Yes, I understand this now, that my function is to recognize the limitations that I operate within, to see that my, that there is something in me experiencing me,
1: And that, by the way, the limitations cannot compromise your infinite being because every limitation is an activity of the infinite being. Just like the wave cannot limit or define or compromise the magnificence of the ocean, every limited experience cannot compromise that which we call I. I that experiences, the mind is an object in I. Emotions, feelings, sensations, perceptions, body, mind, universe, they're all a unified activity in that which we call I. The unified activity is finite in time, but I cannot be compromised by its manifestations.
0: Is your sense that it's the same thing, that people are experiencing the same I, that we're attuned to some...
1: It's only one I. The rest are differentiated modes of knowing of that one I. They're modes of knowing. I can only know itself through experience. So it creates me and other knowers and known and objects of known. But there's no experience unless I modulates itself into an experience. That's why the Vedanta says the unconditioned state of existence, the unconditioned state, is sat-chit-anand. Sat means truth, absolute existence. Chit, absolute knowing, knowledge, consciousness. Ananda, the bliss beyond all limitations. When you impose limitation, then bliss is disturbed. So, undisturbed state of consciousness is absolute existence, absolute knowing, and Absolute bliss. The disturbed state of consciousness is the whole universe. But they're the same thing. Yes. The disturbed state is within limitations. The undisturbed state is unlimited. That's why no death. Okay, death becomes a construct then. Birth and death are both constructs. You don't. You are neither born nor do you die. Only what is born is the experience that we call body, mind, and universe, which is a perceptual activity in that consciousness. You don't die. You're not subject to birth and death. Well, that's a relief. Yeah, it's been playing on my mind. <laughs> yes, plays <placed> on everyone's <laughs> mind. <laughs> the reason you don't die is you were never born. Yes. I understand. Only you modulated yourself into this experience that we call birth and death, which is happening eternally in a timeless now. And now never ends. Yes.
0: Deepak, so there was a point where you were like a doctor in India. Well, I went to... Smoking cigarettes. Yeah, I was. Drinking some booze. A lot of it, yeah what happened well i'll tell you
1: how i started smoking cigarettes you know in medical school the first thing you're doing is dissecting dead bodies and they smell of formalin so i started to cover up the smell of formalin with the smell of tobacco that's how it started and then of course i got addicted and medical school is a very stressful experience so I started drinking experimented with lsd and other psychotropics and that went through my internship and residency in the United States. And then at a certain point, you know, I was seeing all my patients dying in the ICU, and I saw myself in the ventilator too, um, if I didn't uh, shift. So I started talking about mind body medicine, integrative medicine, not about consciousness or anything. I started to meditate, do yoga. Uh, I stopped all my toxic habits, uh, almost overnight. It was amazing. Once I started self-inquiry and self-realization uh, and meditation and yoga, I lost my need for, uh, for shifting consciousness through these artificial means. Because, you know, addiction is actually a very spiritual disease. In my, it's, it's the desire for ecstasy or
0: transcendence so you know, and loss of self, loss and of loss, ego, yeah, yeah. self annihilation.
1: It's, it's all that. It's the addicts are actually probably the most spiritual
0: people. I realize having been through that experience myself. When you were uh, with your experiences with hallucinogens, did you find anything that correlates to your explorations in yes, spirituality? Yes, I did. You know, you
1: uh, you have my book, Meta Human. And it has a whole chapter on hallucinogens and psychotropics and how they can actually uh, be a window to the matrix of fundamental reality, especially if done under supervision by people who know what they're doing, you know, shamanic practices with ayahuasca. And these days, of course, in the medical field with neuroscientists that I work with, there's a lot of interest in treating depression through... Uh, hallucinogens and psychotropics. and by and large, by the way, uh, they're not addictive. You should know that the, the mushrooms or psilocybin or even what people are using now microdosing of LSTs that opens a window beyond the edited reality. Our reality is edited. Yes. So when you remove the editing, you see the matrix or you feel or experience the matrix. Now, I'm not recommending that everybody should be tripping all the time, okay? But there is a place for guided um, hallucinogenic uh, intervention in people suffering from depression, sometimes suicidal ideation, or sometimes uh, deep existential anxiety, Um, there are a lot of academics looking at that, and I have a whole chapter on that.
0: Have you done any recently?
1: I've not felt the need. I can say I have not felt the need. I have done ayahuasca rituals in the last decade, yes, in South America, under shamanic uh, supervision.
0: I like the way you put that, that it disrupts the editing, because I suppose real change, whether it's on a personal level or a social level, can only come about if you're willing to access different ideas, different Or even
1: go beyond all your habitual certainties. You know, one thing meditation does is it lets you relax into the wisdom of uncertainty. You know, when you're, because, hey, even physics tells us now that there are only probabilities, nothing is certain you know so that's where consciousness comes in in fact quantum mechanics and the uncertainty principle is opening the window to free will and choice as well you know if it's a mechanical universe then there's no free will there's no choice but if it's a consciousness based universe then we have choice we have free will as humans which leads to both divine and diabolical expressions so on the one hand, we have mechanized death and nuclear bombs and, and biological warfare and internet hacking and destruction of the ecosystem. But on the other hand, we have the window to fundamental reality, which is infinite, and we could be that infinite
0: being. You know, as Ram Das used to say, we are all God in drag. Do you feel optimistic about the possibility of real change? I know on an individual level you've experienced it, and as a teacher you are able to induce spiritual experience in others. But on a, a global scale, do you believe in the possibility for change? Yes, but it has to be a spiritual shift, not any
1: other shift. It's not a psychological shift. See, we use dualistic words in our language. We say, There's me and there's the environment. But that's, again, it's a phrase that separates, right? We call that the environment. But this air is our breath. Those trees are our lungs. If they didn't breathe, you wouldn't breathe. You put a rabbit in a vacuum, it dies. You put a plant in a vacuum, it dies. You put them both in a vacuum, they both survive. So those trees are our lungs. This air is our breath. Those rivers and waters are our circulation. The earth is recycling as our flesh and blood and the atoms and molecules in your body were made in the crucible of burning stars stardust, we are stardust beings literally with self-awareness and if we recognize that as a spiritual shift that we have a personal body we have a universal body and they're both equally ours that spiritual shift will create a shift that will resurrect the wounds of our planet, of the divided self. But it has to be a spiritual shift. Technologies already exist. I've seen windows that can sense minor disturbance in the breeze and make electricity out of it. Or the gravitational waves of the ocean. You know, windmills in the sea, etc. There's so much technology there that we can use to create... Reversal of climate change, resurrect external species.
0: You know, we can bring back Jurassic Park if we want to. We know well, If you've d- seen those films, Deepak, it always yeah. ends terribly. Yeah. The dinosaurs always escape from their paddocks yeah. and run amok. That's part of the human imagination, too, right? Stop opening <laughs> Jurassic Park.
1: Whatever. But the point is, we can repair the ecosystem. You know, we have enough knowledge now that. Uh, There's matter, there's energy, there's information, but there's something beyond that, and that's consciousness. And that is infinite, infinite possibilities, infinite creativity, synchronicity, what people call good luck, God is on my side. The phrase is like the state of grace. We've all experienced moments where there's flow, where there is transcendence, where there is ecstasy, where there is joy, where there is transcendence. And that is the key to our collective shift, that we are not separate. There is only one being differentiating into different modes of experience. That's all there is, experience. The one being is experiencing itself in all these infinite modes of knowing and experience. And we are that one being, if we go back to ourselves,
0: How do you treat discontent, your personal discontent? Someone disappoints you, something doesn't go your way. What What do you do? What about when, like uh, I watched one debate with Sam Harris kind of being rude and it was in an academic environment where it felt that the general sympathy was with sort of atheism? At that moment, yes. If you're angry.
1: At that moment. But, you know, it was a great teaching lesson for me. Because I realized that if I was going to be affected by that kind of thing, I would be offended for the rest of my life. And I don't want to be there, you know? So I ran into Sam Harris on the street in Los Angeles uh, a while back, and, you know, we had a nice conversation. I told him uh, I was going to debate Dawkins, (laughs) and he wished me good luck. So there we were. It's all a game, it's all a play.
0: How? What is your what is your process for uh, alleviating uh, what I would, in my language, I would regard as sort of e- egotistical hurt, personal pain, discomfort, fear? What is your process?
1: I feel the sensation, and I keep my attention on the sensation till it dissolves, till it melts away. That's the highest intelligence to be aware of what's happening to yourself without judging it. Just be aware.
0: But to understand that somewhat rationally, it's almost as if you see that as a signal, something that needs to be responded to. Yeah,
1: you know, like, I, for example, I'll give you an example. You know, I had this strange thing that every time I used to go to Canada, the immigration, this is long time ago, and it would give me trouble. How many days are you here? Yeah, you are you on a work visa? This, that, the other. Everybody else would go through immigration except me. They would keep, you know. Then I became very well known, you know? And um, I expected everybody to know who I was, even in immigration, you know? So I'm going to Canada and this woman, and you know, I'm next in line, somebody walks before me, and I walk in the direction of the immigration officer and she says, stop, don't come till I ask you to come. And I felt a little offended. I, doesn't she know who I am? you know? So of course, when I came to her, the usual thing happened. You know she started asking me all these questions, and I felt... so I'd realized I was bringing this on, that there was something about me and my self-importance that was projecting as the behavior of other people towards me you know, taking total responsibility that people's reactions to me are actually a reaction to my conditioned mind, to my ego mind. So the next time I went to Canada, instead of having any attitude, I just kept awareness in the body. That's it. Because there's... Ego never stops giving you a signal. And the signal is tightness. The more ego you have, the more tight your body feels. And all you do is, instead of judging that, because fighting the ego is the ultimate melodrama of the ego, who wants to fight the ego? The ego, right? I wanna get rid of the ego, who's saying that, right? So instead of doing that, you bring awareness to the sensations, which are actually the physical manifestations of the ego. If you didn't have ego, you close your eyes, your body would be unbounded, expanded, one with infinite space. And that would be total joy, total what is called lightness of being. It's the ego that squeezes us into the volume of a body and the span of a lifetime. And we identify with that. So in the absence of ego, no experience of body.
0: So now you breathe in and out of Vancouver, untroubled.
1: Untroubled. Just by feeling my body. Just a nod. Hello, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't even have to say that. And then, <laughs> that would be you know, excessive. the latest is now the immigration girl wants a picture with me. All right. Yeah. So it's changed because I didn't take myself seriously. If you have a wife and kids, they don't take you seriously, right? That's right, they so, don't. So just listen to them.
0: I've been mean, trying to encourage them yes. to take me more
1: seriously. No, right? no, they won't succeed. So <laughs> it's don't worse. Yeah. Thank you. They they keep you sane. Otherwise you take your media and your press seriously. And that's what happens. We sacrifice ourselves for our selfies.
0: I remember that uh When I was initially famous, and for me, I was drug and alcohol free thanks to the 12 step program. But uh, my addiction was around sort of promiscuity and not being able to get to sleep at night and i was always trying to mitigate often with the live performance the feeling of having had that all that intention attention and inhabited this great persona and it felt like a necessary salve was for for it was the sort of catharsis of sex the transcendence of sex this feeling of operating on the frequencies of great deities great carnal deities great erotic deities to process it but it never fully fully worked in the way that when i get home now, with children, I have to pick up like animal shit and human shit off the floor. Because
1: that's love. Mm. Okay? Love, and then everything is overshadowed. Otherwise, as I said before, addiction is the desire for transcendence.
0: This is how the 12 steps, may I say, incidentally, uh, as i 'm sure you are aware uh, it instantiates it step twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, first step, the admission of a problem, the second step the uh, come to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. the third step made a de- a decision to turn our life and our will over to the care of God as we understood god, but that 's in a sense that 's like some of the processes we are undertaking is, Oh, I don't know I'm willing to inhabit these the, these oceans that surround the island of, of self. Four and five inventorying process. Six and seven looking at the patterns and being willing for to have those patterns removed. Eight and nine making a list of people harmed. Nine making amends where appropriate. Ten stay aware. Eleven increase conscious contact with God as we understand God. Twelve having had a spiritual awakening be of service. So I, I, the reason that I ever think the 12 steps are beautiful is because. It's a
1: spiritual program.
0: Spiritual program.
1: Yeah, and there's no transformation without spiritual experience. People use the word motivation, it's the wrong word. Motivation never works, it's a mental thing. Inspiration means to be in spirit. And there's no going back once, you're, once you feel the presence of spirit, which is awareness, which is consciousness, which is life. It's the fundamental essence of existence. There's existence, there's awareness of existence. And the two are synonymous.
0: Do you think that when some phenomena becomes successful, it's because it somehow mimics the ulterior realm or some principle as the of the ulterior realm? Say, for example, a cultural artifact becomes very successful, a book, maybe like you know you, like you're writing or even in a more artistic as opposed to spiritual field, something like a Game of Thrones or Star Wars. you know it, do you think it's because it? it functions as a kind of an, an, an object of contemplation because it, it seems to represent deeper truths. It's primordial. Archetypes are primordial.
1: So the archetypes are um, expanded consciousness. And if you look at the word myth, it's related to the word mother, matter, meter, time, measurement, music all come from the word myth. The myth is the archetypal imagination of the universal consciousness as it filters down from archetypal to collective to personal and then to manifestation in the world. So myth is the mother, the womb of creation.
0: So it seems to me that the myths that are promoted in our culture are myths that support domination and create subjugation in the majority of people. They're so diabolical myths. Diabolical myths. myths
1: but so we, we need to replace them with divine myths.
0: Yes, and the. the I feel that it, that then suggests that there is a kind of a, an essential, archetypal, universal way of living that would work for human beings, that, oh, what our political systems... It's the evolutionary impulse
1: of consciousness. Evolution has to go in that direction. But, of course, you know, for every two steps forward, there's a few steps <laughs> backward, too. Evolution is a slow process and for humans now it's a conscious process. You see, we are if we were not at the dead end of evolution because we understand that consciousness is the invisible raw material of creation. And we are we know that. We can understand that through our own experiences by transcending systems of thought. Revelation is all, all religious revelation comes from transcendence, platonic truth, and loss of the fear of death. And we can do a little meditation if you want. Yes. Are you having an experience right now? Yes. Okay, I'm going to ask you the same question, but don't answer it till I do this. Are you having an experience right now?
0: Yes.
1: So the question, are you having an experience, is a thought. The answer is a thought. In between is the presence that we call being. So right now, as you're listening to me, just be aware of the presence in which this experience is happening. That's it, the presence is between every experience, whether it's a thought or a perception or even the space. Consciousness pervades all of space-time and is embedded in space-time as well. All you have to do is stop and say, who, what is having this experience?
0: When you become combined with thought, what technique do you use to return to presence present?
1: Stop and be aware of the space between breath, or be aware of the space between thought, or be aware of the space between sensations. Just be aware of being aware. That's it. Be aware of that which is having the experience. The awareness of a thought is not a thought. Why? Because awareness is observing the thought, right? Thought is a flicker of activity in that awareness. So when you become aware of a thought and you observe it instead of embedding yourself in it, you realize that who you are is intrinsically free of that thought, And once you're intrinsically free of that thought, you are also realize you're intrinsically free of all experience, which we call body, mind, and world. Because body, mind, and world are just human constructs for sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts. So when you become aware of that, you're intrinsically free of that, which means you're back to
0: infinite possibilities. You're free to create anything. What about particularly seductive forms of image, such as e.g. lust or types of pain that have, it feels to me, a strong magnetic allure. You
1: slowly develop the habit of first embracing that. If you resist a seductive thought or what you consider a harmful thought, anything you resist becomes stronger. Okay? So first is you embrace that image. Even try to hold on to it. And it comes a time when you are unable to hold on to it. Just like if I told you just now, hold on to the image of a sunset. You can't. Hold on to this thought. You can't. So the reason why people are seduced by these thoughts is they resist them, and then the resistance creates more domination. So embrace it, merge with it, and then witness it.
0: Some thoughts are so powerful that they suggest and even compel in some cases action, taking for example the uh, like look for me as a person in recovery from initially drugs and alcohol, but then when I became abstinent from drugs and alcohol, I noticed compulsion migrated to uh, to behavioral addictions around food for example, or sex w- around which i practice a program now which helps me. And I agree, for me, it becomes about initially awareness which starts to provide some separation between me and the compulsion. But for people that have uh, addictive tendencies around tech or sex or porn or gambling or food, I imagine that when they first deploy uh, meditative practice, they will, like me, discover that their conscious space is inhabited by ideas, notions, compulsions and impulses around the object of their addiction. They will think about food, they will think about sex, they will think about using the phone. It's very difficult, I think. Like, if say, if we we embrace, like, if, if I'm thinking about sex and I'm objectifying, in my case, it would be a woman. If I'm objectifying a woman, if I like, I embrace that, right? I will stay with that objectification. For, um, traditionally, how I would understand that is that that would be somehow nurturing or watering or um, precipitating action. In
1: First, you bring your awareness to it. When I say embrace, means you bring your awareness to it and the awareness to any experience is always accompanied by a sensation, okay? So when you think of the addictive habit or the substance or the, the so-called fruit of that addictive behavior, if you resist it, of course, it gets stronger. That everyone will agree, okay? But if you bring awareness to it, awareness by itself, without judgment, That means you are bringing witnessing to it. Then sooner or later, you realize that the awareness of that is independent of that, okay? And that, whatever it is, is accompanied by a sensation. You know, if you were, name something you were addicted to alcohol, for example. So every time you thought of alcohol, when you were addicted to it, you would have a bodily reaction, right? Sneezing, something happening in the body that urged the sensation. That is the physical component of that addiction. So instead of fighting it, bring your awareness to that sensation that accompanies that image. There's no image that is not accompanied by a sensation. And when you bring your awareness to that sensation and just observe it and keep it there till it disappears, it'll slowly, that island of discomfort will dissolve in the ocean of awareness which is comfort and that is called awareness-based cognitive therapy. And it's a new discipline that people, in fact, one of the people who is a big proponent of that is in England, Peter Wilberg, you might want to look him up. He is a pioneer in this awareness-based cognitive therapy, which means anything that you're addicted to, anything, you're addicted to, or any compulsion you have, you stop, you observe, you become aware, and then you make a choice, conscious choice, whether to go for it or make another choice. It's putting, before you react to the addiction, put the pause button and observe the reaction to react. Once you observe the reaction to react, in a way you become independent of the robotic because basically it's a robotic behavior of the conditioned mind. It's an algorithm that goes into a certain sequence of behavior. But as soon as you become aware of that algorithm, you pause. So I call this the stop formula. S, stop. T, take a few deep breaths. O, observe. And P, proceed with awareness and preferably self-compassion at the same time
0: are you not worried that that acronym could spiral into infinity because the s of stop is also stop you know it's stop so the first one is stop the second the second word is take a few deep breaths the second one is o uh, for observe, and the second one, P, proceed with awareness. But the S is also stop. So now you've got another S-T-O-P. You're in a limitless potential fractal.
1: In two infinite possibilities. Yes. That's beautiful. So there's no, nothing to be concerned about okay, there. Okay, so let's do our meditation. Oh. Huh? So the meditation is going to involve several things. Self-inquiry, which in Sanskrit is called... Atma Bichar. Self is consciousness contemplating its own self. So self-inquiry, self-reflection, and then some mindful awareness of experience and then transcendence. That's the sequence that we're going to do right now. So actually keep your eyes open. Open. Keep your eyes open and become aware visually of this room. Become aware visually of other people in this room. And become aware of your own body. Visually, awareness is having the experience right now of what we call seeing. Just ask yourself, who or what is seeing. No need for answers, just the question. The answer is obvious, I am seeing. I am having the experience of seeing. And now please close your eyes. Just become aware of sound. The sound of my voice I hear the sound. I'm aware of the sound of the faint hum of the air conditioner. Sound of the crackle of the fire right now, which is fading out. And you can tell yourself I'm having the experience of sound. Notice that the experience of sound is intermittent, just like the experience of seeing is intermittent. You only see that which you put your attention on. And what you see is colors, shapes, forms. But sound is like that. It's intermittent. It arises. It is known. And then it disappears. I am having the experience of sound. Sound is an experience in me. It is known in that which I call I am. It appears in I am. It disappears in I am. In fact, it's a modified form of I am. So I am is present when the sound is being experienced and I am is present when it is not being experienced. And now shift your awareness to the experience of sensations. First, notice the sensations in your own body as they are experienced from the inside out. But then you can notice any sensation, your hand touching your knees, hands touching your Seat, the sofa, the chair, just sensation without labeling the sensation. Notice, like other experience, like this, like seeing, like hearing, sensing is also intermittent. It arises, it is experienced, disappears, before the next sensation arises, is known and disappeared. I am having the experience of sensation. I am is present in the sensation, as the awareness of the sensation. I am is present in the absence of that sensation. I am is present in every sensation and in between the sensation. Now become aware of the breath. Notice, like other experiences, the breath is also an experience. It arises in I AM. It is experienced in I AM. It subsides in I AM. The breath is a sensation. All experience is sensation. And they're all entangled. But they're all one sensation. I am generates the sensation. I am knows the sensation. And the sensation is actually made out of I am, just through attention, intention. So, all experience occurs in I am, is known in I am, and subsides in I am. I am is the only constant. Everything else is an intermittent stream of sensations that we call mind, body, and the world. Let's shift into an experience that is not in space-time. So on the screen of your consciousness, evoke the experience of an image, a candle in a dark room. Observe that image. who or what is observing that image, I am is observing that image. Just like other experiences, that image flickers in and out on the screen of consciousness. You can't hold on to it. Furthermore, that image has no location in space-time. There's no image in your brain. It's just a modified form of your own self. Now you can play with certain images. Imagine a rainbow. Imagine a beautiful sunset. Imagine the face of someone you love. Now feel the emotion that we call love. All these images and all these emotions are happening in awareness. Everything happens in awareness. I am is the awareness in which all experience arises and subsides. I am is the screen of consciousness in which... The play of consciousness is experienced as mind, body, universe. Every sensation, every image, every feeling, every thought occurs in I am. I am generates it, experiences it, and lets it subside. And now, we go a little deeper. Bring your awareness to your heart and mentally ask the question, Who am I? What am I? Don't look for an answer. Just ask the question. Who am I? What am I? Ask the question, what is it that wants to know the answer? What is it that wants to know the answer to this question? Who am I? Am I the changing experience of the body? Am I the changing experience of thoughts, emotions, feelings, desires? Images Who am I? What am I? Second question What do I want? What What do I really want? Again, not trying to answer the question, but only asking it. What do I want? Allowing any image, any feeling, any thought, any sensation to spontaneously arise or not arise. What do I want out of existence? And now ask the question, what is my purpose? Do I have a purpose? Once again, not trying to answer. Just asking the question, letting it go. Ask the question, what is my purpose? Let it go. Allowing any sensation, any image, any feeling, any thought to spontaneously arise or not. What is my purpose? Final question. What am I grateful for? Once again, allowing any sensation, any image, any feeling, any thought to arise. Asking a question and settling in awareness allows revelation, revealed truth. What am I grateful for? Allowing any sensation, image, feeling, or thought to spontaneously arise. And not let's go a little deeper. So mentally, start to repeat your full name to yourself. I am Russell Brand. I am Russell Brand. Now, you can stop repeating that sentence, but bring into your awareness everything, every experience that comes randomly to you associated with that name. I am Russell Brand. These are the experiences I'm having. Whatever comes, sensations, images, feelings, thoughts, let it all come. The hassles, the deadlines, the addictions, the anxieties, the likes, the dislikes, attitudes, opinions, whatever randomly comes to Russell Brand. Now, release your last name. Let it go. And just repeat your first name, I am Russell. And now bring into your awareness any memories, any experiences from when you were a teenager or even younger your parents, your siblings, school, the world you knew as a child. Any sensations, any images, any feelings, any thoughts, let them arise on the screen of consciousness, randomly. Memories of a childhood teenage years, images, feelings, thoughts. Okay, let's uh, release those images, and now drop your first name, just say I am, with no experience attached to it, just the two words, I am. Is the non-changing awareness in the midst of changing experiences, sensations, images, feelings, thoughts, that we call mind, body, the world. So just repeat, I am. And now, if you want, replace the I am with the mantra. If you have a mantra, then use it. If you don't, you can use a generic mantra. Aham, aham, which is the sound of existence. hum," It's also the vibration of breath. So let's do that, and don't mind the time. Just silently repeat the mantra as it takes you beyond all experience. Keep your eyes closed but let the mantra go, release the mantra and just rest in existence, rest in being, rest in awareness, just being. Just be aware now of being aware. Awareness is ground state of all existence. Before any experience, there is awareness. In fact, all experience is a modified activity of awareness. Rest in being. Rest in existence. Rest in the awareness of awareness. Just to come out of the meditation, please uh, feel your body again. Feel the sensations in your body. Take a minute or so before you open your eyes. can open your eyes. So let me explain a little bit about what we did. First of all, how do you feel? Good. Okay. So the first part of vegetation meditation is just being aware of experience, perceptual experience, seeing. Without, you know, that's a tree, but before you call it a tree, it's a sensation. It's a green, it's a shape, it's a color. Just observe it. Okay and say, I am having this experience. And then change that to the experience of sound. Close your eyes and experience sound. And then sensations, and then breath. And the purpose of this, this is basically what basic mindfulness is, to be aware of experience without judging it in the present moment. And so original word for mindfulness in the Buddha's language was vipassana, which means when I observe an experience in the present moment, just in that there's insight. I am is the common factor in every experience. Experience is intermittent. I am is not in time. Experience is in time. So that's why the Buddha called it Mindful Awareness Insight. Insight opens the door to intuition, creativity. That was the first part. The second part was what we call reflective inquiry. Who am I? And it can go deeper. Who or what is it that wants to know who am I? You don't have to have the compulsion for an answer. Just the question. The expression is, if you live the questions, the answer will be revealed. That's actually the meaning of the word ask and you should receive in the Bible. Okay. Revelation is revealed truth that comes from asking a question in stillness. And these are the four most important questions of our existence. Who am I? What do I want? What is my purpose? What am I grateful for? Now, the answer, by the way, is I am absolute existence. What do I want? To, know, my, to mo- know myself, to just realize myself. What's my purpose? Unity consciousness. What am I grateful for? Existence. Without existence, awareness of existence. This is not there. So those are the answers, but you don't worry about that. Just ask the question. And slowly, the truth will be revealed. So you know, when people quote the Bible, they say, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. If you look at the Aramaic, many versions of that, but it's actually, I am is the way, the truth, and the light. Because I am is the awareness in the midst of everything else. Or when Jesus also says, before Abraham was, I am. So Abraham is a process, a person, in I am. Just like Russell Brand is a process in I am. Okay? But these truths are revealed automatically just by asking the questions in stillness. Ask, receive. And what you receive is truth. So we did those four questions. Then we went through a process of deconstruction. I'm Russell Brand, but who is Russell Brand? All these experiences happening now is what we call Russell Brand. But then I said, forget your last name, it's a construct, it was given to you. Just use your first name, but then go into memories of things that are not, you don't have the same body, you don't have the same mind that you had as a teenager, you don't even have the same personality. That was a different person. But those memories are there. Where? In consciousness. There's no place in the brain where it says, you know, this is the house, London, this, that, and the other. Okay, Those memories are in consciousness, including the memories of addiction, etc. Memories cannot be erased, including the memory of addiction. They can only be overshadowed by other experiences which are so magnificent that those memories become trivial. But memories never go. In fact, memories recycle as persons. When we say reincarnation, person is just a process. It's the memory, the desire, the tendencies, the impressions, the addictions that recycle. To what purpose so we can expand that experience of awareness in the direction of ultimate enlightenment, unity consciousness. So there's a deconstruction. I am Russell Brand, these experiences. I am Russell, those experiences as a child. And now drop the name, I am. Moses asked God, what's your name? God says, I am. Nothing else. I am is the awareness in which all experience arises, including the experience, what we call body, mind, and the world. So you deconstruct that, and then I am is replaced by a mantra because mantra is more abstract. It has no memory no experience attached to it so now what happens is the mantra and the and the thoughts they kind of compete for your attention back and forth the thoughts are called the upward stroke of meditation mantra is the downward once in a while they cancel each other out so there's no mantra there's no thought that's when you're transcending okay finally you let go of the mantra Okay, because it's just a vehicle. You just sit there, being, nothing. That's ground state, that is awareness. No shape, no color, no form, but without it, no experience. Awareness is the prelude to every experience. And what we call objects, bodies, minds, are all movements of awareness as that experience. So I am present in that as awareness. I'm present in that as awareness. I'm present in that as awareness. I'm present in this as awareness. I'm present in all this as awareness. Awareness is prior to space and time. The more I ground myself in that identity, instead of the intermittent stream of sensations that we call mind, body, and universe, the more my identity shifts there, the more access I have to information and knowledge in the non-local mind. Because my mind is fragmented, conditioned by culture, by religion, by everything, money, fame, fortune, all these provisional identities. But my real identity is that awareness in which all these provisional identities come and arise with their experiences, the child, the baby, the husband, the wife, the father, all provisional identities. I am is the only identity. And then there's no word. You know, God's language is silence. Everything else is poor translation. So you let the mantra go. And just sit there for as long as you want and then you come out of it. But what will happen is your sense of self will shift to that and as it shifts, emotions will move in the direction of relationship because love is the ultimate truth of unity consciousness. There's more sobriety, no drama. There's clarity of thinking. There is also comfort in uncertainty, because uncertainty is the prelude to creativity. Therefore, there's unleashing of creativity, insight, imagination, joy, and participation in what I am wants to experience by choice, rather than through a conditioned reactive response that was we were indoctrinated into. At the moment of birth, you're given a name, you're told you're male, you're English, All provisional stuff, you know, made it up, just like we made it latitude, Greenwich Mean Time. Why not Botswana Mean Time, right? It's a a collective interpretation of sensations. That's all it is. So all there is is actually consciousness having a sensation. And the rest is a human construct. Mind, body, universe, these are human constructs. Mathematics, human constructs, biology, physics, human constructs, they're models. But reality is just awareness, that's it. Shift our identity. That's when the loss of the fear of death happens because awareness never goes away, even in deep sleep. We've done studies where a mother and a baby are bonded spiritually with love, which is normal. There's a special relationship between mother and baby. Baby's in one room sleeping, mother's in another room sleeping, baby feels hungry, mother's breast leaks with milk at the same time because they are actually members of one consciousness. They're members of one body. They're members of one mind. We're all members of one body, one mind, one consciousness. The differentiation is not separation. Just like a single cell becomes the hundred trillion cells in your body, but still the same cell, stem cell, or whatever we call, pluripotential cell, so too consciousness is one, but minds are many. Just like electricity is one, but there are all these different modes of manifestation, right? It can light up the whole city, light up this, light up my phone. So consciousness is all modes of knowing in all sentient beings, but they know reality in different ways through the filter of their conditioned mind and we think that's reality but behind it is this infinite non-local unbounded boundless formless god divine being and we are droplets in that ocean of consciousness so this gradually you see the mantra meditation is good but when you put it in the context of contemplative inquiry, of awareness, of knowing experience as a manifestation of your own being, as sensations, images, feelings, thoughts, and recognizing that the being is not in time, only the experience is in time, it automatically leads to what these great spiritual traditions call God consciousness, unity consciousness, love, compassion, joy, not because these are moral codes. They are natural impulses of consciousness as it diversifies and then comes back. You know, T.S. Eliot, we shall not cease from exploration. And the end of our exploring is to arrive where we started from and know the place for the first time. So it's it's a going forth and a coming back. But actually, it's a journey without distance. You start from here, and you end up here. And here is only here. Always, eternally, now. This sequence is what you can even teach to other people without giving them a specific mantra, just say aham uh-huh, at the end. Because it takes you beyond all constructs.
0: I experienced it. I experienced in uh I enjoy the uh, slow ascent or descent into the state, the visual, auditory, uh, kinetic experience of being, then uh, into the identity, the part where the, after the surname I felt um, like a personal myth, the sort of moments where my personal memories must have somehow correlated or aligned with archetypal experience. Small moments of memory not recalled for a long time. Moments in my grandmother's or mother's house. Mundane details.
1: Now, where were those memories before this experience? And people say in the brain, even neuroscientists. But I have met neuroscientists, hundreds of them, and say... They can localize a part of the brain where electrical activity goes up when you have that memory. But where is the memory before you actually experience it right now? It was in consciousness, always. No memory ever leaves consciousness. Part of the matrix, in Eastern traditions, is called uh, Akashic Field. (laughs) but it's the field of consciousness, and it's personal, it's collective, it's archetypal. All of that is there.
0: Yes, it's, it's a, yeah, it, it is personal, but it's also archetypal Correct. and universal. What about and of- actually
1: what you do as your profession right now, even the look you have, and even the way you're dressed, even the beard, it's an archetypal image, right? So you are enacting the archetypal role today as an actor, but behind the actor is the witnessing awareness, which is also enacting other roles, you know, father, husband, this, that, the other. So this, these are all actually part of the matrix of awareness, personal, collective, transpersonal, archetypal, and ultimately universal.
0: Well, my friend Martino, he had a uh, brain cancer, and they're doing the, they're doing the surgery on him and removing you know cancerous tissue while he's conscious in order to ensure that they don't you know inhibit. Mess up, yeah. yeah. So they've some like they've removed during it. They've at some point removed his capacity. He can he can't read, but he can write. So those two right. things that we. But what he
1: can do now, because consciousness is fundamental he can learn to activate other parts of the brain where he can write and read at the same time. Because that's what rehab is, by the way, physical rehab, neural rehab. You have a stroke, you have a damaged brain, then you train yourself and other parts of the brain take over. So consciousness is fundamental. Mind is the activity of consciousness and the brain is the architecture, the symbolic representation. The brain is what the mind looks like to an outside observer. But prior to that is non-local consciousness. That memory that you had wasn't there. Okay, let's say I learned how to skate as a child or learned how to cycle. I can't unlearn it now, okay? It's grooved. There's no way for me to unlearn the memory of ice skating or cycling even though the brain that learns, the brain that does that today is not the brain that learned the experience. There's not a single atom in your brain that learned how to speak the English language or learned to walk or learned to communicate or learned anything, not one single atom in your body or your brain that learned, but the memory is in this body too. How? This is what the hard problem of consciousness is.
0: Do you think it suggests an ulterior field that is behind, beyond matter, expressed through yeah. matter?
1: Yes, it's a field which has no substance, either physical or subtle. Subtle means beyond thought.
0: So do you think it's that's... It's a potential field. Do you think that's why certain cosmic discoveries appear to mimic this pattern? Oh, it's no substance, it's dark matter.
1: Yeah, 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 a lot. And a lot of revelations come, the benzene ring was discovered like this. Einstein was had a vision of riding on a beam of light. And many people have revelation after sleep, deep sleep especially. So if before you go to sleep, you pose a problem to yourself. And then you wake up in the morning and it's there. Because even in sleep, consciousness is processing everything, experience. And it disrupts. A creative act is a disruptive act. It's not an algorithm.
0: It's curious that it's what was previously regarded as mysticism could be- Begin to be regarded as the ultimate rationale, and what is regarded as physical certainty becomes it's mystical yeah. and superstitious science, and conditional. Science is
1: our latest mythology. Yeah. In fact, one of the one of the things in the philosophy of science is no theory of science is true because. Science is based on what is called falsification. You had to falsify the old ideas to create the new ideas. Newtonian physics replaced sort of God. And then Einstein replaced Newtonian physics. And then quantum mechanics replaced that. And now mathematics and now consciousness. Where, where is it all coming from? So what we call the physical world is the myth The reality is non-physical, totally non-physical, not even energy, information, or matter. It's formless. Tagore had this great poem where he said, in this playhouse of infinite forms, I caught sight of the formless, and so my life was blessed. We are formless beings having the experience of form and phenomena.
0: So you play out your role in life, With gusto, (laughs) but
1: not taking it seriously.
0: With real gusto, but not taking it seriously.
1: Like a great Shakespearean actor. One day King Lear, the next day Caesar, Mark Antony, even Elizabeth or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's our destiny to play an infinity of roles, but we are not the roles we play. We are the awareness in which the roles take shape, they're conceived, they're constructed, they're governed, they come into existence in formless being.
0: Yes, you have now, so so through the demonstration, through the meditation we have done as part of uh, our conversation today, that's the beginning of the method that you will teach me to teach other people.
1: Yeah, well, this is where you can use this to teach what we did. I mean, these are the steps, what we did, you can teach anyone. Um, in an audience too, you know, Said, so, okay, look around, be aware of this experience, ask who's having this experience, be aware of your body, be aware of this, where is this happening, close your eyes, hear sounds, where is this happening, see, I am is the common factor, go into these questions, go into these different identities, replace it with a mantra, and then rest in stillness, that's the sequence, you can teach anyone, <clears throat> that sequence, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can go over these notes. I can also send you more information, but there, it's all there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Now, if you want to go deeper next time, yes, uh, we can do that. I know. I, I can show you how to, we teach the primordial sound and all that. But that'll be. We should do it some other time. Okay. You know, take a little. I can send you some literature on it too. Thank to you. To read. To read. Thanks, Deepak. Yeah, no, it's great.
0: Well, that was the second part of Deepak Chopra's wonderful intervention in my journey into consciousness. I loved learning to meditate with him. I hope it's useful to you. And uh, next week, I don't know who we've got on the show. It could be, I mean, it could be anybody. Just... Just you wait. It might be a pleasant surprise. I know we've got some fantastic thinkers and speakers and comedians coming up soon. Thanks very much for subscribing. Tell your friends. Take advantage of special offers. Take advantage of the precious gift of life you've been granted by an unknowable cosmic force. Mm. And uh, enjoy your consciousness. Ta-ta.